Today's podcast, we're excited to have not one, but two guests. His first Just Jeans store in 1970, taking just $37 in the first day of trade. You sponsored the first live telecast of the BFL Grand Final. So millions of people watched it on television, and our sales just went boom. Shane Warden, Shane Warden, uh, bless him. I love and, uh, a Warnie story. Uh, Jesse goes in, another girl just jumps into the toilet with him. Connie sees him, goes and opens the bloody door, and, but he drags her out and he says, oh, thank you very much. Give it up for the man who first wore the pants at the Just Group, Craig Kimberley, and his son, Jason. When you get the feedback from teachers, now, Reg, you know, you've changed my life. No one's ever lucky. I, mean, I think the only lucky get in life is where you're born and then you make the rest. Stick around, it's going to be a good ride. Is that okay? What, what have we got something special for you today? say okay. Don't worry about me. Uh, you got something special for us We today? do, man. We've got a cracker. You know what? I feel like it's a full circle moment for both of us as well. Yeah, okay. Which we'll have to explain. We'll explain the during the pod somewhere. Yeah. yeah, correct. There's a bit to unpack there. And we haven't seen each other for a while either, man. It's all a bit weird today, man. Yeah, I'm not sure where you've been. Where have you been? I've been under a rock. I've been underground, man, working on something. Working on something? I can't really... Anything you can uh, reveal? No, not yet, man. Not yet. But... Sounds uh, big. It's a bit of an end gamer for us, I reckon. Yeah, right. Yeah. Haven't seen you for 10 days. It'd want to be something. Yeah, and there's going to be another 10 or 20. <laughs> you know, I'm back under, as soon as this is over, I'm back under the rock, man, until it's done. So Sounds exciting. Once, once, man, once it evolves a bit further, we'll definitely share it with everyone. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds big. I like it when you go underground and start working on things. <laughs> Come up with something Stuff to sell. interesting. <laughs> something to sell. Something yeah. to take to market. Yeah, yeah. Like a service or a product or something. Love it. Speaking right. of products. Today's going to be a product. Let's get into it. Yeah, man. Welcome back to Australia's number one podcast. We are the little fish and we speak to the big fish about town each and every week. We talk business, we talk value, we talk big stories. And today is none bigger, guys. Huge. Please like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Turn yourself into a subscriber, please. No one's Please, come on. Subscribe. Help us. Let's get into it, guys. Today's podcast, we're excited to have not one, but two guests. Yeah. First time on First the time. fish pod. Our first guest turned a single idea to sell nothing but jeans into a company that he sold for $120 million. Benny, over 20 years ago too. Just for a bit of context. Over 20 years ago. An endeavor that began with operating or opening his first Just Jeans store in 1970, taking just $37 in the first day of trade. I wonder how many pairs of jeans that is. Back oh, there, probably two or three. Doesn't sound like many. <laughs> so there could be a bit in that as well, Ben. Six months later, one store became three. And then in 1973, he was voted in as the managing director. In the 30 years that followed, he went on to acquire Jackie E, Peter Alexander, Portman's before selling the group in 2002. Our second guest inherited his entrepreneurial eye from his father, founding Cool Australia in 2008 after dabbling in circa 12 careers. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. Today, his not-for-profit not profit supplies the environmental education to more than 90% of Aussie schools. It's a big Jeez. number. Give it up for the man who fir- forced, first wore the pants at the Just Group, Craig Kimberley, and his son, Jason. Yeah. Let's go, boys. Come in. Let's, go, Let's do it. Morning, gentlemen. How are we? Morning, nice gents. Thanks for coming on. Great pleasure. Good to see you, Pete, Ben. Good to see you both. Oh. Sorry, the headphones. Just down the side there, yeah. Okay. 
Double header, Benny. I'm pumped. I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> pumped little crowd in today too. <laughs> We've got the boss. Our in. number one ticket holder over there. <laughs> Get off your phone. Your phone's off, mate. <laughs> 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 too often. Too often. Uh, thanks for coming in, guys. Great to be here, Pete. Great to be here. Very excited about this one. We are, like Benny touched on, we used to do a lot of shop fitting. Uh, the three of us did a lot of shop fitting, Mark, Ben and myself. And uh, the Just Group was a big part of our everyday life. So uh, opening them quick, <laughs> getting the shelves stocked for you guys. Reshuffle. Money was very important. Reshuffle in head office of a Saturday. I know. So there's, yeah, a, there's a deep, deep connection there. But Craig, Jace, can we start... Back where it all began, how did the idea, where was the idea born, genes, uh, and how did, it, how did it come to be? Well, basically, just go back, uh, I left school when I was seven and I went into, um, <clears throat> into retailing then, and, uh, I, uh, and I can remember we even had Amco genes as, uh, before currency changed at £2.9 uh, and 6 Wow. <clears throat> so that's the first part I can remember about jeans, and uh, so we had uh, we I was working this big uh, retail company in the in the city, and all of a sudden when I was twenty one, we they went broke. Yeah. <clears throat> and then um, after they went broke, I had an offer of a couple of jobs: uh, one to go to Glowweave, Soul Same, and one to go to A One, which was making women's jeans. So they wanted to start a menswear division. So at twenty one or twenty two, I went over there and started a men's division. Um, uh, doing a menswear range. I had my first overseas trip when I was about 24, <clears throat> just after we had Jace, our first son, Connie and I, and uh, uh, and I did a fact-finding trip and I basically built that business up there and worked with a team there selling uh, A1 thoroughbreds around Australia. <clears throat> and then when I was about 29, I was in San Francisco and saw the first Gap Shop. So I saw the first Gap shop and uh, that was like, in a, it was a guy by the name of Fisher started Gap in America and he was uh, a <clears throat> um, real estate, but he had this old garage. He didn't know what to do with it. And he uh, uh, he started selling 45s and secondhand Levi's, had uh, Mad Music, American Pie, Janis Joplin, all that time in the early, late 60s, early 70s, came back to Australia, tried to talk uh, uh, Myers into going into it, different people I knew going into it, they ended up, our family decided, my brother and uh, my wife's uh, uh, sister Chrissy, <clears throat> they decided to come in with me and we started to open our first Just Jean store. And uh, that opened in Chapel Street. As you said, Pete, uh, we took $37 the first day <clears throat> and uh, we're on our way. You're on your way. So we're on our way. Back from the States, you were like, these <clears throat> jeans are a thing. Yep, it was really, I think at the time there was like, uh, uh, in Australia there was probably about uh, one and a half million suits sold in Australia and two or three uh, million pair of jeans. And and then within five years the jeans market went to about 15, 20 million pairs and men's suits went from one and a half, two million suits to half a million suits. So the change of clothing in Australia, we went from being quite stitched up and tailored to very casual and jeans was a big part of that. So you you pioneered you were on that wave and sort of pioneered that first wave that, that of tra- uh, transition of brought the jeans to the people man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that's crazy well it did and uh, Levi's and Lee they're all uh, their own brands uh, but then what happened was we then we started to do our own brand of just jeans jeans where of course there's much better margin yes. but originally when we opened the first few stores it was Levi Lee uh, Blue Junior Yakka all uh, also those sort of brands but listen we saw the Gold Coast there we kicked in the middle and the market like 
liked it. We got some good publicity. Chrissy got a great article in the in the Herald that uh, got a lot of momentum, yeah. and uh, it was just uh, just one step in front of the other. Never took any money out. Kept the money in the business. Cash flow is very important to pay your accounts yeah. because then you can get you can get more stock if you paid your accounts quickly. And uh, next minute, 10, 20 stores were were on our way, and we were running with the boom that was happening in the lifestyle what the world was going through. Yeah, how amazing is that? So, so you're in business with your family. You're in business yep. with your brother. Yep, and um, brother-in-law. Yeah, and my wife came into it at that stage. Too. Correct. So, how 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 was that sell? It sounded like you tried to approach a few different people. Yep. They said no. They said Craig, it wouldn't work. I, don't, yeah, I don't think you're on anything here. <laughs> they said it wouldn't work, and uh, Connie came up with the word uh, just jeans, which uh, I was which, gonna... uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I was going to ask you yeah, how that came about. She did that and, uh, uh, and it, it, uh, it just evolved. But we had a fantastic team as we yeah. built it. And, of course, then we, you know, uh, Mark uh, Walkley came into the fitting out with you guys and uh, they worked with us as a team. But it doesn't work unless you got everyone working on the thing. We had very good product people. We had good finance manager. We had good people doing our fit out. We had good agency doing our advertising. We had uh, with logistics, uh, resources with the, the latest styles that people want. We had the creativity. So we had all the bits in the middle, in the outside, I guess. In the middle, we had this thing ticking along and I just loved it. I was very terribly lucky that I found something I loved early in life. Uh, you know, I wasn't doing it for money or anything. I just lucky I found something I liked and I was okay at it and uh, just basically the cheerleader. Was it the jeans that you liked or the, the business side, the, the retail side and just selling the product? Could oh, it, could no, it have been t-shirts? Or? I like the clothing and the fashion, the, clo- the jeans okay. and the tops, but also I love the bottom line. The biggest turn off is making <laughs> the profit. If you want a good orgasm, it was <laughs> making a good profit every, every month. So we had to get the money. Margin. We had to control the expenses and that, but you had to take a punt too. And we made a lot of mistakes, but I never forget Rupert Murdoch used to say, you know, he doesn't mind someone making a mistake, but don't make it twice. And yeah. uh, we made some big mistakes, which we can talk about in our life, but we just, um, we had some great people helping us. I mean, one good example would be Levi's. I mean, Levi's, uh, I think one year we sold over 500,000 pair of Levi's in Australia and New Zealand. I mean, that's a lot of pair of one brand. Jeans. Okay. And uh, and uh, and of course we had a great relationship with them, and they used to give us funding, and they gave us some finance. So it's all about managing cash flow, getting the margin, and not spending much on yourself. I remember other people opening jeans shop. Next minute they got the new speedboat, they got the Mercedes <laughs> car, they yeah. got all the flash things, but they weren't there three years later. Yeah. So there's a lot of things about manage it, and you know, and I I wasn't much of an accountant, and I was I didn't get my HSC at school, so I was a, a dropout. But uh, but uh, I always uh, I just had I knew enough about the numbers mm. to how important they were. Yeah, that's interesting. That's Mark Walkley. You just mentioned him. Then we're in business with him. He did your shop fit outs. He's a big one in managing your cash flow, tires. knowing your numbers, keeping your tires your, pumped up, keeping your tires pumped up, forecasting it. Uh, appreciating that cash flow, Jace. When uh, what's your recollection of all this ride? You were you were there early on. Probably memory not great early, but but when did as a as a kid running around after dad doing jeans is uh you know what can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, well, certainly my uh, first experience or memories of it was sitting at the kitchen table and uh, mum hand-painting the swing tags to go on the jeans. <laughs> You'd have the price ticket and yep. then a thing called the swing tag, which was a bit of a flash sort of a ticket, which had some colours and the name of the store. So I remember mum hand-painting them, so I would have been three, and uh, sitting at the kitchen table and probably uh, not being much of a help, being more of a nuisance mm. and uh, watching her do those. So I remember mum doing that. And I also remember the, the debate about what we're going to – the brand was going to be called and uh, dad had this uh, thing about Luke's jeans I want to call it Luke's oh, jeans I don't, I don't know where the idea came from and mum said god uh, Luke's jeans it's very much specific and who the hell's Luke and this debate was raging on mum said why don't you call it just jeans just jeans that's Brilliant. what you want to sell yeah. and uh, that uh, was, the, was the start of the name so certainly as a, as a young kid there was lots of conversations about business at the table you know I, I think I um, knew more about stock terms and margins at five than any kid would know in their whole life. So uh, that was a, a fascinating upbringing. And mum and dad worked really hard in those early years. Like Friday nights, they'd be in the stores. Saturday mornings, they'd be in the stores. So, um, uh, you know, it was good. So mum and dad were quite strict on, you know, 8 o'clock bedtime. So I could cut loose with a babysitter and stay up till 9 o'clock on the <laughs> Friday night, which was a bit of a spoil for me. Dash off into bed and pretend I was asleep when they came home. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you saw firsthand how hard your parents worked to get this off the ground. Sounds yeah, like it was constant. At the there's, kitchen there's, table, yeah. nights, weekends. A lot of passion and a lot of travel. As I mean, Dad mentioned before, which Mum likes to remind him, he celebrated my birth by going on an eight-week business trip three days later. Yeah. So Mum said, imagine doing that today. But, you know, that was the that was the time and that was the, the passion and the commitment to the business to to do the best and uh, and find what was uh, find what was new and bring it back to the Australian market and uh, adapt it for the Aussie audience. Yeah, amazing. Can, can, can we back over the brand? Because I think we're uh, sort of just fleetingly moving past. Like, it's amazing. The, the big brand, that, the, how they come to Connie be. just came up. And with it was the, nearly you know, Luke's jeans. Nearly Luke's <laughs> jeans. Because I would argue, like, you know, we'll never know, but like Luke's jeans, it's a, you know, we're not sitting here today if it was Luke's jeans. The power of brand, you probably know better than anyone, Craig. And sounds like in hindsight, you've figured this out like oh, a little bit. Great. I mean, yeah. Cotton On's a great brand. You know, Levi's a great Yeah, brand. yeah. The Just you Jeans know, brand is, Gap yeah. is a great brand. I mean, you know, but, and we put money into marketing very early uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the go. So we were advertising on 3XY on No Wrinkly's Fi. <laughs> Chase wouldn't even remember this or you guys wouldn't. And then eventually we went on to television and uh, we were always investing in the brand. Uh, and probably I always took that as insurance, probably overspent. <clears throat> because right at the end when we sold the business, they cut the advertising budget by two-thirds and it sort of still ran well for two or three years um, and it, it's a different world we live in today. Well, that, that, that's probably, again, on the <clears throat> back of the strength of the brand, right? So you're yeah. running Luke's jeans and that's not really resonating no. with the people, but like Just Jeans and that advertising yeah. that you did early, which I think we're going to touch on mm. some of the uh, some of the moves that you got, pioneer moves that you guys made. But I mm. feel like, um, yeah, that's... That's a big part to, uh, or that, that just created so much value around that Just Jeans brand that, yeah, that these guys bought, it, it flowed on but for three you've years. You've got to have all the spokes coming in yeah. at one. You know, the brand's the main thing in the middle, but then if you don't do the other things right, 
it, it, it doesn't work. Pointless, yeah. It's, it's, it's like that in all businesses, you know. You can have the, the idea, but you've got to make sure that you've got, you know, the good staff selling with the competition, the stores, the financial control, the stock terms, you're getting the margin. You know, you uh, uh, you can pay your bills, the marketing's right. You, uh, uh, later in life, as we got into IT and your systems, that they're all right and you put the money into those things. You know, you've got to have all these things working well to make the thing happen in, in any business. I, I guess, yeah, and we, we 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 put a lot of concentration onto all those areas. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, a lot. Strong all the balls in the air all the time, <clears throat> and you just got to be catching them, throw them up, or get, hold them, and decide what you're going to do. But and yeah. the market moves quickly. Yeah. Government trains rules on on duty. All of a sudden, three hundred fifty thousand people are out of work when Gough Whitlam took all the taxes off for uh, uh, clothing textiles in Australia. Yeah, right, you know, that yeah. was a huge thing. Yeah. You know, and that's really why shopping centres in Australia can charge such high rents over the last 30 or 40 years because the, the retailers could afford to pay more yeah. because their margins were greater because it was all, all, all the clothing is made in third world countries. Yeah. You know, and 97% of the clothing sold in Australia, I think, is made in Asia. Yeah. There's no, no industry in Australia at all. At all. But you can say the same with Bunnings, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How do you, you know, it's a huge conversation. Yeah, I didn't even realise that. Did you know that? What's that? 97% yeah. of clothing. Who makes clothing yeah, in Australia? Do you know? Yeah. That makes fashion? sense. I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know who does. Yeah. R.M. Williams make boots in Adelaide. I think yeah. there's one place in Queensland doing some dries of bone stuff. But, oh, bugger wrong. Yeah, yeah. With the uh, loving, like, the PR piece and getting your brand out there, 1977, <laughs> I think you had about 33 stores you sponsored the first live telecast of the VFL Grand Final, mm. side by side with CUB, yep. Jason informs me. So that sounds like a big play. <coughs> who, play who was playing? It was... Uh, Collingwood North. It was, Collingwood a, it was North. a draw. Huge. Oh. It was a draw. It was huge. Ron Casey, who was running Channel 7 at the time, and Lou Richards was his main call with Michael Williamson. And uh, they'd always been wanting to do it, and, uh, and they said at the AFL they would never do it unless it was Alan Aylott was president. Yeah. After Sir Morris Nathan, Alan Aylott was the president, Eric McCutcheon had gone, and Jack Hamilton was the general manager of the VFL at that stage. If they sold out, they would telecast it. Well, they sold out yes. because of the people who were playing by midweek. <clears throat> And they, uh, and they said to Ron Casey, you have it. He spoke to Harold Mitchell, who was a very uh, one of the major media buyers, and we were one of his clients. And they said, uh, 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 you can have it if you can still get it, get it sponsored. So Harold rang me up straight away. He said, do you want half this, this gig? Yeah. And I immediately said, uh, well, I think I said, I'll ring you back in 10 minutes. Rank, spoke to a couple of people and directors, whatever, came back and we, we said yes, and CUB took the other. So we basically sponsored the first grand final ever with CUB. <clears throat> and um, I'll never forget the next week, we got hundreds of letters from people in hospitals and all around, around Victoria. They uh, uh, thank you so much because they've never been able to see a grand final. There was 100,000 people. No one, these people had never seen it. So millions of people watched it on television and our sales just went boom. Through the roof wow. uh, from uh, from there it was all PR. We had three or four ads in it, uh, but it was really what uh, what it, what it did to position the company, you know, to a whole new another level. Yeah, that's fantastic. So when you were weighing up whether to do it or not, was it a big call? Are we talking about 
substantial yeah, money. Yeah, but I was a bit of, about yeah, it. it was, but we, we had the money and we yeah. could do it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was a big call, but I was sort of person that would like to, you know, do things, you know, do things I think it's going to be good for the company, yeah. like a bit of risk. Yeah. Like, you know, risk, <laughs> no, you're going to be no risk reward. and excitement in your life. So fucking boring if you don't. Yeah, spot on, spot on. Can we... I wouldn't mind going. Oh, Jace has let me in on a couple of things. We've got the Melbourne Sports <coughs> Depot here. Was that an ac- acquisition Absolute that took disaster. place? <laughs> oh, but we it love was, disasters we here going, on the pod. We thought we were we were so good at one stage, forty or fifty stores. Anything we touch it turned to gold. You know, ego was up here, and uh, we knew the Reeds. It was Wayne Reed who ran the tennis in this, in, in Melbourne out of Keong, and his brother. Uh, he was in the VRC. Uh, Forgot his name, the brother. Anyway, we we they spoke to us and we decided to buy forty yes. percent. We're in there, buddy. Six months. I said, "This is, buddy. There's no margin. It's not working. We've got to buy a sixty percent because we then control the board and we're going to tell them what to do." So we had put more money in, <clears throat> and uh, so we had sixty percent. Two years later, we sold it back for a dollar. So we, we probably did about one and a half million dollars and we sold it back for a dollar, but the rest of the business was so good we didn't even notice it. Yeah. And I remember at the same time that uh, the Lowy family bought into Channel 10. Oh, they owned a lot of shopping centres, Westfield. They bought into Channel 10. It was an absolute disaster like this. And they put three or 400 million into that and they got out of it. But the rest of their business was so good that it didn't even affect them. Like it didn't affect us. So we just kept on building the business and buying some other businesses. So that was a complete stuff up, but we learned from it. But yeah. there you go. Was there, was there a time... Uh Early on, once you know those three stores, was there a time when you thought it wasn't going to happen, or pretty much out of the gate? Because it was was it three stores in the first six months? And yeah, it was just we had on. three or four stores, but uh, yeah, we thought three or four or five stores might see us out. But it was amazing. We just had the traction. The market was going with us. We had plenty of competition. Who, who were the competitors? Oh, um, uh, General Pants. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, we had, and they're still there today. I think it's been sold, bought and sold a few times. But there was uh, Pete McKenzie down at Mentone, uh, down at Frankston. There was uh, uh, Rob Palmer had Jag. There were other brands around, but we had the, in those days it was all like Levi's and Lee and Blues Union and Yakka. And um, we just just putting one foot in front of the other. We had some good staff we put on. They were motivated. We ma- ran it very tight with stock and it just kept happening. And then uh, that was only Victoria. We didn't move into state, uh, which is another story, until we had about 30 or 40 stores here, wasn't it, Jase? Yeah. So what was moving in? So obviously you did move we into did state. We did it basically by acquisition. We went into Sydney. We opened two stores. They were going nowhere. One in Hunt Street and one over the North North Sydney. They are going nowhere. And there was a guy, the Solomons, who had uh, uh, 12 stores. So I went and saw him and I said, do you want to sell your business? Uh, and he said, no. I said, well, if you don't sell your business, we're going to open next door to you. Or everywhere in Sydney, we're going to cut the money prices by 20% on you. I said, we'll give you a million dollars. We spoke to the bank who were prepared to lend us a million dollars. I went back the next day and he said, okay, deal's done. I'll sell it to me, provided you employ my son as a manager for New South Wales. (laughs) So we we did that and that was Greg Solomon. So we bought it. We did a huge closing down sale on that business. 
I went on television. Harold Mitchell did it, and Lionel Hunt and these guys from, the, uh, uh, from Macy's Williams. We, we so we we bought that uh, that business, closed it down, and we got a lot of more stock of their their brands and put it all on. And then we opened, then we did an opening sale with our brand, and we paid the million dollars back in three or four months. We generated a million dollars of cash flow in the closing down and the reopening. Just geez. of course, then what we could afford to afford to go on television because like McDonald's, you can't they until they get at least a dozen stores around an area, they don't make any money. But once they can afford to go onto television and marketing, and then all of a sudden those 12 stores, we opened another 30 stores around them. We just dominated New South Wales. Well, wow, I'm, I'm hearing that like that PR, <coughs> PR play yeah. about taking over that business, making the money from the closing down sale, yeah. but you televise, you scream yeah. from the rooftops, yeah. these guys are shutting and we're opening. Well, that's how we got into a cha- uh, Southland, uh, into Chad- Northland and Chadston. Walsh's uh, uh, bought out in Perth, bought out Leviathan, and they went broke. And we were trying to, they, the receiver uh, had it, and we said, we, we, we'll buy all the stock that you've got in Walsh's in the city, in, in the city, and Chadston Northland around their stores. And we bought all that stock. We did a huge closing down sale, but we got the leases for uh, Northland and Chadston and Southland. Yep. And that allowed us to, we did a big closing down sale, generated a lot of cash, went on television, and then opened them uh, with our other shops in Chapel Street and Puckle Street and Centre Road, Bentley. Yep. We, we, that was, we were in the centres then, and that was enough for us to go on television in Melbourne. So that's how we expanded, really, Melbourne too. Yeah, getting your name out there—that's good. I was—I was, was, was going to ask: Was there ever any thought of um, going back to the states? So when you were over there, you saw General Pants, and I think they had who else? Did Gap. They? Yeah, Gap. Gap. Sorry, yeah, Gap. Did you ever consider taking Just Jeans into the states? Oh, yeah, uh, I don't know. We probably—we obviously talked about it, but most of them haven't done well. Apart, Cotton On's doing well now, but really, most people. David Jones, a lot of people went to the states, and okay, Country right. Road lost twenty-six million. But he, a lot of people went to the states and didn't make it. So yeah. It, it's very, very tough. But uh, we did go to New Zealand. We had we opened with one store, ended up with 42 stores in New Zealand. Glennis, uh, one of our top managers, went over there, kicked ass, kicked down doors, got us a good leases, and we ended up making uh, more money in New Zealand. Like in the, uh, we, I think over there, we made about 10 or 11 cents, where in Australia made 8 or 9 cents a dollar. So the, 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 the great thing about New Zealand was there was no penalty rates on weekend. The rents were cheaper, but the prices were a bit more, the margin, Gross margin wasn't quite as good, but that was a bit of overseas. But that was it. Yeah, there you go, Jace. When did you start working in the stores? How did how did, how did that evolve? Well, I started Being surrounded by it so much. And how yeah. many pairs of jeans did you have in uh, the, uh... a lot? <laughs> a lot. So, um, uh, Dad would you know go on his overseas buying trips and come back with the latest. So myself and uh, my brother and my sister would always be decked out with the latest. Purple pants, um, paisley shirts, uh, not uncommon to see me wearing a cravat to a kid's party. Um, so we'd have all the, the latest outfits. But um, I started going in with Dad to work in the school holidays probably when I was about six or seven and I'd go and run around the warehouse. This was uh, back in the days when it was in uh, in Malvern and uh, go and play with all the, the guys there, notionally under the guise of picking a bit of stock and doing some work. So um, I uh, was very much uh, engaged early on and uh, and just loved the whole process. There was the, the computer, which was about, uh, I don't know, about the size of a 
but a, a quarter of a, a half a squash court, this huge thing, and you'd feed in all these paper documents and all these things that get spat out the other end. And it was like a, a contraption from a, um, a Roald Dahl book, and it was uh, amazing. I was just fascinated with this ticketing machine and this computer, uh, which would do all the the printouts. So um, I was just part of the, I think, part of the furniture from a very young age, and loved going there. And when I got a bit older, I think I was desperate to work in the stores. I think you yeah, legally had to be 15 or to work in the shops. So I think. I started when I was about 13 and I'd work out what the best rates were. Was I a casual? Was I a part-time? <laughs> I'd do all and the calculations. And negotiate with the <laughs> old man. So I, I was that guy that actually worked all the rates and I went, okay, if I work on a casual and work on these hours and get in a couple of Saturdays and Sundays, I can maximise my pay packet. So uh, I was underage and illegal but claiming the top rates. Love it, love it. So it sounds like both of you in the numbers, into the bottom line, into maximising the outcomes. Can we talk about, you know, what time, you know, when will we? When are we talking a couple of hundred stores? Because when we're talking about a couple of hundred stores, we're really talking about... Well, I guess... We're talking about an iconic Australian yeah, so retail brand. We basically got Just Jeans up to, you know, I'd say 150, 100... Was that all private or were they what? franchise? franchise? No, no franchise. No franchise. Yeah. And we didn't know. Oh, right. We owned a bit of real estate in Burke Road, Camberwell, but we bought and sold it. We realised it was a lot better return on running the, the business than there was in owning real estate. That wasn't the, where we wanted to go. But I guess when we're around about 150 or something, we found this company in Sydney called JJ's and then we what we did we bought it was three old jean stores a bit different in three garages in Sydney we got it and revamped it and started doing a, a line with their their own brand on it we ended up we all within six or seven years we had a hundred stores of JJ's and that was sort of a lower uh, uh, um, uh, um, demographic than Just Jeans so Just Jeans was the top end with Levi's and Lee and our own brands <coughs> and Edward Jeans and Japan, and this was a, a much more cheaper end of cargo pants and, and jeans and tops, and we'd sell them much cheaper value. It's a bit like a, one was a Lexus uh, uh, up here for Toyota, and that was a, the four-cylinder Toyota down here. So it's a different market, different different buying team, different creative, but all the back of house, all the property, all that side was done by as a group together. So that we got great expansion out of that. So it was really that was a, that was a second brand to what it is now. I mean, you know, Soi Who's owns the business today and doing a fantastic job. There's about six brands here now. The Premier are doing so. It's a different business when we were doing, but that was our introduction of our second brand. And then we bought uh, Jackie E, which was women's fashion, and uh, we revamped that. And these were adding on uh, to the, the the brand instead of being the Just Jeans became the Just Group. So, yes. And then we Peter Alexander came later, so you know that sort of thing. So JJ's was the first first plug in that, yeah, that that's created right. the yeah. group. Yeah, we got the name and the idea, and then yeah. we revamped. It. And how, how did you find JJ's over uh, in Adelaide? We, we know we saw it in Sydney. It was in Sydney. Oh, I was in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Sydney's you know it was a great market. Was, they weren't in shopping centres. I think we ended up doing some deals in the shopping centres. Completely different. Uh, we did try and get into the surfwear because surfwear was also growing very fast at this stage because although 
uh, our, uh, we came along, uh, the jeans was very big, I talked about the 70s, and then surfwear got very big late 70s in the 80s, and of course today it's all like Lululemon and uh, Nike and Adidas, they yeah, all came wear. later again, yep. lifestyle. So it's all different, it, it moves on to different lifestyles, and before us it was constructed suits. I mean, you look at a, a, a grandfather, the MCG in the late 30s, every man had a hat. If you weren't wearing a hat, they wouldn't let you in the ground. So, yeah. and everyone had their Sunday best suit. So it's all evolving, these different lifestyles we're in, and we're into the blue denim, Janis Joplin, uh, you know, American Pie thing, and then the surfwear came in. We tried to get into that, but they... They wouldn't sell us the brands. They were worried we'd knock them off and that. So although we tried to get into that and try to buy a couple of surf companies. and Because uh, they were doing jeans as well, right? The yeah, old they Quicksilvers were doing and their, stuff. their version of jeans. Or Dickies yeah, and like all those companies, yeah. Type, uh, yeah, the fat, yeah. ones. And, of course, surfwear's not as big probably today because, you know, it's the, more the lifestyles of Lululemon, Cotton On, and all that, and, and Nike. Yeah, and jeans have stood the test of time. Yeah, they have. They're the one out of all of the ones that you just mentioned. They're the only one that's sort of been yeah, constant. Yeah, Levi's were in our time. We're doing about eight billion US turnover. Today they're doing about four. And I remember at one stage they were doing eight and making about eight or nine cents. So that's about eight or nine hundred million US, and they're, they're around the world. And they're talking about buying Nike, who were doing three or four billion, but they didn't buy it. The family didn't want to do it. But today Nike are doing thirty-six billion probably one of the biggest clothing companies in the world, and they are making about uh, three or four billion after tax, doing about 14 cents. So, you know, it, it all comes around and goes, and ANS, their big competition, they're half the size. Yeah, yeah. So it's and you got Uniqlo coming in, Uniqlo yeah, doing yeah. about 16 oh, or yeah. 17 U, billion US. Zara, the biggest of those, doing about 25, 26 euro billion. Uh, and H&M, and they've had a bad two or three years. So it, 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 these people weren't there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Zara and Uniqlo when we were there yeah. so it all evolves and changes and that's where Cotton Idol do so well because they're on to all of, uh, where it is today and they're, they're doing the superstores and the, yeah. the different brands and yeah, the breakouts put, put all yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Four brands all into one yeah yep so was that anyway. that was obviously a conscious decision that you were playing up here in this market space yeah and then you wanted to capture more yeah, the yeah we wanted to expand and, uh, and like you said you had the back end in place to yeah. then support these new ventures because we had sold off 30 percent of the business to private equity and of course they come in they always want an out in the end and that's okay. the reason we we floated in the end yeah. and then that's the reason we sold in the end and uh, whatever so i mean you know would have loved to stay another few years but there's a lot of circumstances that you don't but uh, you know it evolved but listen we're lucky that we've made a good enough good decisions against bad decisions no one's perfect in life and we and we've we've you know, done well, okay, not well, but okay, and the family's all okay. Yeah, love it, love it. So talk us to, to us about that float, you know, becoming a public listed company well, because it, those requirements, I mean, I would reporting have rather we, requirements. Today, looking back, I would rather we didn't do it. I would rather we didn't sell, you see, the, we sold 30% of the business because we had a big tax problem. We, 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 the tax department took us to court. We won the case and then it went to the high court. We lost the case and we had to come up with a few million dollars very quick. So we basically floated it. And, uh, who were they? Was that to private investors or yeah, individuals? Uh, private investors, very good people. Uh, Mori Coop and George Pappas, Boston Consulting, one of the leading consulting firms in uh, in Australia, 
and a group of those guys got together on the board. That was all. It was a good, a very good. But at the end of the day, the private equity, they, they were only in for a time. They need the money to get out. So uh, if I had had time again, we would have liked to have just kept it in the family, but it was not to be. So stiff ship, but we're happy. Because this, 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 <laughs> yeah, not a bad win. Yeah. <laughs> that space that you guys are in, that's evolved so much today. It oh, hasn't yeah. online and, oh, yeah. you know. And, and your that. run was kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was kind of before that online e-commerce oh, way. When you sold, yeah. it was almost like the very beginning. The wave yeah. was just starting. Well, Peter Alexander were uh, totally a catalogue store. That was before online came and they just posted out a catalogue. Yeah. And, of course, then after we left, they opened stores uh, and they took it all from the catalogue to be online. Of course, that's a great plus for the Premier Group today to have a, 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 a brand and they're doing such a great, great margins, great business, doing about three fifty, four hundred million and which is which is terrific, and that's Peter Alexander. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Oh, oh, nothing to do with us, but uh, yep. I just observe it from. Do you know? Do we know? Do you know um, how much uh, the Just Group's doing? How much they're turning over? Oh, I think about one point two, one point four. I'm not quite sure. The whole group is doing that, and uh, they're making terrific profits. They had another good result this year. You know, sorry, we without doubt the best retail in Australia. You know, he's he's he's, he's uh, he, he just. Uh, Works at it all the time, and he, he's not—he's a bit younger than me, but he's not that young. But he just obviously loves it, and he's got a very, very, very good mind for it. Amazing. So, you sold out circa 150 million. Oh, I think it was about 120. 120. Something uh, with stock so. coming back and everything, but something like that. Yeah. But we, our family, owned 66 percent of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah gotcha. Yeah. And did the other 34? Did that go at the same? Did they yeah, sell yeah, at the same time? Went. So it the whole went. hundred went. Yeah, yep. Yeah. It all went. So what? Uh, what was life like after that? What did you go and do? Oh uh, well, I, I. You and got the family. It, uh, it was too early. I was not ready to hang up my boots. I must say. So how? How was circa? How old would you have been then? Oh, uh, sixty. Okay. Yeah. I say fifty nine, but Connie reminds me it's sixty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, so I got involved in a business in Adelaide. That was a disaster. Anyway, I've got good tax losses out of it. We're still using today. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. And I got involved with another company, Bullouge, and I'm involved in Husk today just as advisor. Yeah. I'm 81, mate. I'm fucking old. Yeah, well, you 81? You don't bloody look it, mate. No way. Oh, well, yeah. You look after yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's um, You both are proud old South supporters. Is that fair to say? Very true. <laughs> you corrupted my, my, my gorgeous JC is keener than me. And I didn't think that was possible. Because <laughs> you know our grandfather supported them. And yes. my mum and dad and auntie, they were, I'm the third, Jason's the fourth, and his grandkids are the fifth generation. Fifth generation. So you can't say we're jump on, no, no. jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, the family's been following them since the 1870s. So, um, yeah, we're yeah. Uh, well ensconced in the old South Melbourne and obviously embraced Sydney and uh, couldn't yeah. be happier with the, uh, with the boys and the team, what they've become over the last 40 years. Yeah, amazing. It sounds, there's a lot there, like you're president. Yeah. President for a bit, first... Life member as an administrator. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. In the AFL or in, uh, for, in, up no, in for South? Yeah, for yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm a life member Sydney. of the AFL and the Sydney Swans. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, as Jay said, I was the, for the only Hall of Famer who's not a player or a coach. Wow. Yeah. And Dad was the, uh, the youngest ever um, uh, VFL president. And uh, then it became AFL. And I think Eddie Maguire might have yeah, beaten by a few months. Yeah, I had to talk to Eddie. Talk to Eddie. Almost a dead heat for youngest yeah. ever. Yeah, about 33, 34. Yeah. yeah that was all fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> ah. No. Have, you got a, have, have you got a good story there? How'd you get elected? Uh, well, how'd you get elected? Yeah, tell us. Thanks, <laughs> Well, um, uh, a group of people uh, approached me in the, in the uh, late 1970s, 75, and said, you know, there's a descent of the pauper at the bottom of the ladder. We need a new, uh, uh, a new um, group of um, committee men, and would you like to lead a, uh, a group against the guys who are on the committee? So at any rate, uh, oh, we're, we're a very sad part of Connie's my life is that we'd lost Marcus, our son, in uh, March of that year in 75. So it was only about six months after that and uh, I, I, I just sort of threw myself into it because, uh, uh, and uh, I got uh, involved in doing this and Ron Joseph was advising us. Anyway, it looked like the election would go uh, half the old team and half of the new team. So then we decided that we would... Uh, uh, but also one of our key players was going to go to another club and uh, uh, which was a bit of a problem. All the supporters upset about that. So then we decided to talk to this key player and uh, I was told to take a, a brown paper bag to the rib room at the Southern Cross and uh, and uh, and as we chatty away, I um, moved that brown bag over and it came to be uh, that person stayed at the club and I said, well, if you announce in the paper tomorrow, you'll stay if, our, our committee, if everyone votes for us. Uh, so I got a reporter down he did that uh, and then... And and then the, the, we won the election 9 0 because all the supporters loved the player. So uh, that's how we did it. Whatever so it then takes. I was always saying, I was there. I sat Graham John, the coach, the first day, got Ian Stewart in as a coach. And uh, all of a sudden we realised that the club didn't have any money. So then we, um, at any rate, we went on and uh, it was horrendous. I mean, I nearly, I nearly split the marriage and everything. It was uh, it was unbelievable time. Every bass is ringing on the phone in the middle of the night. Why is so-and-so playing an half-back flank? And yeah, all this yeah, sort yeah. of crap. It was unbelievable. Because those days there was no mobile phones or yeah. anything. So anyway, so we got them to Sydney and I was on the committee, off the committee on and I was their representative in Sydney and Melbourne and, you know, I went on and um, I was involved in the VFL and the commission for yeah. on and off for quite a few years, but a good part of my life. Yeah. Go and back da- and, and that's quite modest about his involvement. When when uh, he mentioned mum wasn't that happy about it, there was as there was no money in the club, so dad went uh, guarantor on a loan for the club and was not aware of how broke they were at the time. And he became aware when he got a phone call from mum when she had a sheriff knocking on the door oh. coming to take the furniture, the beds and the TV as collateral against a, a failed loan at the club. So uh, you can understand why mum got a bit shitty on the on the whole thing. And the, uh, the South Melbourne players, I mean, Tony Morwood tells a great story who worked with Just Jeans for many years. When the club couldn't play, uh, pay the players, the players had come down to Just Jeans to collect their pay um, uh, each month and dad would pay them from Just Jeans when the club couldn't afford to pay them. So he essentially funded the whole playing list for a couple of years there. Wow, that's uh, yeah, that's interesting stuff, isn't it? Sounds like they might not be, might not still be around. Today. I'm not sure, I'm not sure yeah, if that was a salary good. cap, soft cap, how that'd be treated today. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing stories, though, that you don't hear that probably don't really see the light of day. But uh, like well, these are all confidential stories. Of course. <laughs> we'll, keep, yeah, no. we'll keep them dark. We'll keep no, them dark. no one listens to our podcast anyway, fortunately. Uh, but like you said, Benny, yeah, you wonder if people like that aren't around in those early times, uh, these, how things play yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. 
hundred percent. Like you think about what uh, what the Sydney Swans means to Sydney, but the AFL as a whole, and, a and, and what club. the AFL means, you know, it's, yeah. it's crazy how things pan out. Hey, Jace, I've got to ask, man. It's been burning. Go. Pete <laughs> said. Pete said in the uh, intro, he he said, you know, twelve different job or twelve different career or things that you sort of tried. Hmm. I guess my big question is, you know. The obvious thing for you to do would have gone down to follow your dad and work at Just Jeans, becoming an executive there, being a part of all that stuff. Obviously, that's not what you wanted to do. And I love, you know, for the people at home, you know, we try and talk to the people on site or in cubicles and stuff that aren't sure, you know, whether they can take, you know, too scared to take the risk or whatever. Um, You've gone and tried 12 to... I'm going to rattle them off because I I, I did some (laughs) digging and I I found them. So you've been in fashion photography, retail warehousing, stockbroking, wholesale, building, fruit picking, cattle herding, roof repairs. You've been a restaurateur and we know you're an an accomplished author. So I guess my question is of why did you try so many things? And is that something that you would advise um, for the people at home? That's, yeah, they're trying to figure out what they're doing. Because it sounds like you, you've gone a long way through life, which I was like as well, trying to figure out. And I just kept trying stuff. And eventually I found something. And it sounds like um, with the cool kids, you've, you've, uh, you've, uh, you've found your calling as well. But it took all of those How'd things. How'd you get so, there? Yeah, talk yeah. us through that, man. Well, I um, I really like to challenge myself, and um, something that I always you know, looked at, you know, the the kids that I went to school with, uh, you know, no one at school wanted to be a real estate agent, but the kids who didn't go so well at school did real estate, and after thirty years, guess what? You get pretty good at it. No disrespect to the real estate agents in the world, but I thought that was such a sort of a dreary path, the one thing. So, I just really loved the challenge of something new. So, whether it was um, uh, wholesaling with Country Road, working in their warehouse, moving to Sydney, working with Country Road for a few years, and I, I'd do something for sort of three or four years, and I'd feel like I'd got a really good handle on it. Maybe not necessarily mastered it, but done it to a level of satisfaction where I thought, okay, I can do this. What's next? So um, I always uh, like to give myself something that's, uh, that's hard to do and uh, not that straightforward. So to me, it's more about um, taking things on and challenging yourself to find a bit about who you are, whether it's uh, you know climbing mountains in, uh, in the Andes or going to Antarctica or hiking up to Everest Base Camp or uh, you know doing the Kokoda Track with a bunch of mates, these, these different sort of mental and physical challenges and also in a work sense. So when you start a new industry, you've got to you know, start from the bottom and learn about it so you know renovating houses so you know what's the order of the building process who do you need to get in and you sort of work out how that goes after a while or hospitality you know what are the secrets of that you know your peak times and you know losing money on Monday Tuesday Wednesday and how you got to make it on Thursday Friday Saturday and uh, and Sunday so I suppose I was just never satisfied with getting into a, um, a rut and uh, and being having a, a, a career that was sort of a bit samey and really you know mastering one thing so I didn't really find my real I loved all the things I did but my real passion you know in education which I didn't discover till I was 40 um, so I, I feel as though I've given myself a, a Jace Kimberley MBA for the first um, 40, <laughs> 40 years of my life with all the different influences and the, the great people around me and the fantastic experiences that um, you know mum and dad uh, exposed me to so when we went on holidays it wasn't uh, you know sipping margaritas on a boat in the south of France it was um, hiking through Nepal or you know travelling uh, through India 
India or camping out on the uh, the Dal Lakes in uh, India or on safari in Africa or all these you know really different sort of uh, interesting things or you know doing a three week drive through Central Australia from Alice Springs to Broome to Darwin so yeah. uh, all of those trips I think really informed uh, who I was and uh, I think you're a real product of you are who you are because of where you were when and you know I think also um, having a brother who was um, uh, uh, born with brain damage and was uh, had a challenging life you know I was always very much into defending him speaking up for the underdog I mean I'd cross the street to challenge someone who stared at him because he'd have the crash helmet on and the, the caliper boots and um, it was a sort of a bit old school you know early 70s um, kid you know back when people were you know called a, a retard or a spaz or whatever so I was very defensive and that and I think that really set up um, a big part of who I am and uh, speaking up for the, the little guy and uh, making sure everyone has a fair crack. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was, I was going to ask where that, that drive for the education side came from. But yeah, that's incredible. Can I say, Jason's, you know, is a, is such an inquiring mind. He's got an unbelievable mind and he's a real adventurer. Yeah. I mean, to think that he, you know, he sort of saved a guy on Mount McKinsey up in the, uh, North America in the snow, uh, a guy up there. He, he hiked with Peter Hillary down at the Antarctica down there uh, and camped out in down the Antarctica, dropped in by a Russian plane uh, <laughs> down there with, with guys and wrote a book on it. I mean, he is really con- Look back at his life, and he's a man of adventure. And he's just been up in the last week up at uh, uh, north of Australia and Haggerson Island, fishing and mud crabbing, and with his mates and his two best mates. And he's, you know, he's so loyal. He thinks it all through. Different to me. We're all different looking people in this world, uh, and the way we do it, you know, I'm a bit more structured perhaps than him. But he's just got this individuality which uh, everyone loves so much, and he endears himself to everyone. But he's, uh, you know, he's uh, a bit left sometimes, but that's okay. Left is good, left is good. Love it, love it, Jace. You'll probably argue with me about that anyway. Le- left of what would be my question. Jace, can we learn some, some more about Cool Australia? Like yeah. you, you said, you found your passion at 40 after all of those different things. And believe it or not, I'm, I'm low 40s myself and, and I was the same. It took me until just before 40 to actually, I tried that many things and then eventually I did the Benny Drowan MBA sort of thing. But you found you found Cool Australia, that's your passion, man. Can you tell us about that? Because it's yeah. a fantastic initiative, Yeah, it's Jace. insane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so at the time I was, uh, you know, a, I don't know, a photog- adventure photographer, author, I not one on putting labels on myself, but you could probably say that about me. And I'd had uh, published uh, a book about my ventures around Australia. I had sort of exhibitions. Um, I published a book about my travels in Antarctica and, uh, you know, have had a, um, a show in New York and, and in LA and um, a couple in, uh, in Australia. And I was researching this book that I was writing about my Antarctic adventures and I was um, reading about uh, fishermen who were coming into the Southern Ocean and netting krill by the boatload and the krill was being used as an additive to put into pellets that were being used to feed cattle that were grazing on cleared Amazonian uh, rainforest and the beef was being used to, to, for burgers to sell to uh, North America who I thought possibly didn't need another burger. And I thought, geez, out of sight, out of mind, this is just so um, wrong on every level 
well, but someone's making a quid and no one knows about it. So I thought, gee whiz, I thought I knew about this stuff. But as it turned out, not nearly as much as uh, as I would have liked to. So I did some further research and found out that there's thousands of things like this going on around the world. And I thought, geez, you know, we're just living in an absolute, um, you know, a haze of, uh, of um, a lack of knowledge generally in, in society about these things. And I asked them, teacher mates of mine, I said, you know, what's going on around, you know, climate change was still a bit, you know, controversial um, uh, back then in 2007 and, you know, is it or isn't it? The Al Gore film had just come out, the Stern report had just come out that said the longer we take to act, the more it's going to cost us. And uh, I spoke to teachers and they said, listen, it's very much, you know, don't do this, don't do that. By the way, 10 easy tips to save the planet. I said, well, fuck me. I said, that couldn't be more buddy disengaging if you tried. So I thought there's an opportunity here to educate um, kids but more importantly to build up teachers' confidence, competencies and skills to talk about um, what's going on in the real world and bring that into the classroom. Uh, and not just for the greenie teacher, but make it everybody's business. So I thought, how can we speak in plain English with a sense of humour and engage teachers to upskill them, to give them the confidence to teach these lessons? So I thought, well, whatever we do, we need to have a focus on maths and English and science because they're the key subject areas. I want to have bums on seats. How can we make uh, sustainability, biodiversity energy, water, waste, climate change, how can we make that everybody's business and make it as easy as possible so the whole school can engage in this? So um, uh, having no idea about education and an absolute muppet when it comes to technology, I decided to start an online education platform. Of course. Now, I, I, my, I'd, be a, I'd be a zero out of 100 on, on both of those, and I've educated myself along the way. And, you know, you hear people talk about you've got to get the right people around you. Well, this is, you know, was imperative because I, I know the, the overall of what we're doing, but I, I don't know the actual nuts and bolts of how everything sort of works in a digital and education sense. So I've got a great gang that um, work and uh, support me there with my... Uh, 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 right-hand woman, Thea Stanier, who's been with me for about 10 years and she's now the CEO of the place. We met at a science teachers conference uh, and I was um, had my Antarctica book there, which has got a photo of my mate nude in Antarctica. <laughs> and that quarter, she said, this is a bit weird for a science teachers conference. What's this bloke on about? So we struck up a friendship and I asked her to come and work with me. So the, the great people. And then um, we, we got the online thing set up back in 2007 um, with one employee and I sent out a copy of my Australia book and my Antarctica book to every school librarian in Victoria with a letter of introduction saying, we reckon we're onto something here. We can help your teachers in, embed all these um, uh, core areas, you know, water, waste, energy, climate change, biodiversity into the, your school curriculum. And within a three months, we had all of a sudden, we had 5,000 teachers sign up to the site. And, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, what, 14 years, we've now got um, 200,000 uh, educators in Australia, of which 25,000 are parents, which came on board during COVID, a lot of home yeah. learning. Yeah. And uh, we bring the real world into, into the heart of the curriculum. Uh, we've expanded our remit from having a focus on environmental science um, to include the social and the economic pillars of society sustainability so um it's a uh, it's so um satisfying to to look back on what's happened but when you get the feedback from teachers you know regular you've changed my life you know, you've changed my outlook on teaching i was about to quit but yeah. now I'm going to stay. This is fantastic. You've saved my career. So yeah. getting all those sort of bits of uh, feedback and, you know, we asked teachers, how has this impacted you? And we were astounded the first bits of research we did. 90% of teachers said, I have changed my view of this subject. Yeah. 
I mean, the kids are similar sort of so responses. You're educating the teachers through that, educate the kids. Because a lot of people get stuck with the loudest noises they hear in the media or the last thing they heard on the radio or what, yeah. you know, Uncle Barry said at Christmas lunch. I mean, everyone's entitled to opinion, but some opinions are worth more than others, you know. <laughs> so we're very much science driven, uh, we're factually based, and we bring the real world into the classroom, work with documentary filmmakers, and um, we, we tell the stories of what's happening in the world, but in year level specific, subject specific classroom lessons, so that every teacher, can have a crack at um, helping their kids understand how the world works. That is wild, that? man. So teachers are yeah coming back to you going, you know, it was maybe, it was uninspiring. I, I was doing things I wasn't maybe passionate about. I was losing my drive. And now you sort of find giving them a why to come to work and learn and, and, and teach the future for us. Yeah. Well, you've got to make it interesting. I mean, there's so, I mean, teachers get a, a hard time and I think, you know, every article in the newspaper is about teaching 90% of the negative, yeah. you know, this teacher bashing. The teachers are there, they're committed, they're, uh, you know, they've decided not to be um, work in the money market. They've decided yeah. not to work in a business so they could be making a fortune. They're working because they're committed and they care. Yeah. So um, you're working with a group of engaged individuals, 73% of teachers are female. So it's a quite a specific uh, audience you're talking to and they want to do the right thing and you talk to them they talk about my my fives my sixes my math kids so they've very got a great ownership so we provide lesson plans outlines if you will so they can structure it to suit the needs of their particular kids their ability levels their students plus we have lots of great no videos and engaging content and we're not afraid to tackle you know the hard issues we've just done um, some lessons and professional development around consent now a lot of people don't want to go near that and pretend it's not happening and so you can't teach it beyond this level or whatever it might be but we've done that it's had enormous success the kids and the teachers are really hungry for this and uh, often we get a few noisy voices in the media that you know don't want to know about it because it challenges their ideology but we're not ideologically bent in any way we just want to get out the reality of what's going on and you can choose to embrace it or you can choose to ignore it, but it's your choice. You know, people talk about, oh, do you believe in climate change? It's not a matter of believing or not. You either understand it or you choose not to. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, a choice. Yeah, yeah. You choose not to understand it. You can pick holes in anything if you want. Jerry yeah, pick, yeah. oh, what about this? And you said it was going to be dry, now it's wet. You said it was going to be wet, now it's dry. <laughs> yeah, 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 but there's nothing more compelling than the science around climate change. It's yeah. compelling as gravity. So yeah. it's very clear and, uh, you know, hopefully we haven't left it too late to take action and get informed and uh, do the right thing. The planet will be fine. People talk about save the planet. The planet's going to be here and creatures that we couldn't have imagined will be here in a million years' time. Our challenge is to make sure we're here and uh, not wrecking the joint, but investing in it and uh, protecting it and having some sort of stewardship for generations to come. Yeah, I think it's a great it's a great initiative. I'm raising kids myself and, you know, the, the education system is, is, is one we've got, one we're working with, but you can't help but think it, it potentially can get left behind somewhat. Like the world moves very fast, you know, fashion, very fast. Everything's moving so fast. So to have people out there, you know, with that entrepreneurial brain to go, well, how about we, you know, how about we share this and share that and bring the kids up to speed. The parents appreciate it. The teachers appreciate it. Great work. It's like yeah. shaping the, people shaping want to, people the future. People want to know. You know, people want to know. They don't uh, want to be yeah. uh, left out. And uh, particularly, you know, kids, I've conversations with my 18-year-old daughter. And, you know, I'm more, you know, 
probably socially progressive than dad and she's way more socially progressive. I, I learn more from my daughter, yeah. uh, Florence, who's doing a VC English exam right now. Um, good than luck, I, Florence. Than, good luck. G'day, Flo. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but imagine my mum and dad oh, yeah. or, or Connie, my wife's mum and dad, they were so much more conservative than me and I can't believe how conservative they are. And then Jay thinks I'm so conservative <laughs> and now he thinks, now his daughter thinks he's conservative. So it's the world just goes like that. It's um, it's unbelievable. And to, yeah. you know, the chauvinism, the chauvinism for males is is disappearing. But it, uh, yeah. some countries, of course, it's as, as bad as ever. In the free world, we're very bloody lucky. Yeah. In the Western world, we live in. Yeah, aren't we? Yeah, correct. Yeah, there's cool. never been a better time to be alive. But there's never been more challenges either. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, <coughs> guys. We ask we ask a question, and we've got two questions to ask today, which is exciting. But it's a question for our audience that if someone's looking to maybe step off the line, start that business, start that <coughs> jeans company, you know, start that uh, educational platform, whatever it might be, what advice would you give them if they're umming and ahhing, not sure? Maybe they've been told it won't work a few times, Craig, you know, like what, what, what advice would you give? Uh, well, I think there's ideas just like we saw an idea when we opened the first shop, but <coughs> I, I'm very much a believer in testing. And uh, yes. I basically moonlighted for about eight or nine months before I left a secure job with yeah. a company car to then because the idea would have we had two or three shops by then yeah. and other members of the family, my brother and Connie's sister were sort of running th those two or three shops and uh, we tested the market and then we decided to go. So I think whatever you're looking at, there's ideas popping up every day today. Yes. I'm very much a believer on testing the market, talking to people, putting a bit of money in, you might put a get a few thousand, some of the family lends it to you or you can raise it and test the idea within without risking your life too much on it. I don't think you should be mortgaging your house and doing yeah. things like that. You've got it. I'm very much a believer because there's new ideas all the time in every in every sphere we're in, in Jason's business, online education, in the clothing and fashion industry, it's changed. But I'm very much, I think you've got to test it. And yeah. It goes in that you might say, well, I'll try it three ways. Then if you can get one line that's going or one there's a bit of fruit on one tree start going down that drop the others they're prepared to admit to your mistake the worst thing is hanging on to something that's obviously not working it's just bleeding yeah. cash yeah. it's bleeding cash and not working that's not good enough no. because no one you know you've got to so I'm very much jump onto where the lines you can see it it might be completely yeah. different to the idea you started with but then you then you do it bit by bit you might advertise you might not advertise every industry got different models to do different things yeah. where you're going to make your money in that so test it, it test yeah. it figure test it, it out. and talk to people look at it yeah. get online see other people are doing see someone might be someone in Canada doing something today you're very lucky with the internet you can go on and look at ideas and things and it might work in Australia it might explode or it might be it's just not up to the where where we are or what area how much or whatever so creep down the road as far as you can yep. without potentially giving up your job, That's right. your house. Moonlight, try it out, yeah. just like you're with Side this podcast. Hustle. You're testing it out. Yep. You know, you, you, you're making mistakes as you go. Yep. Or you say, oh, God, we should go more over there. Yep. And then you, there's a bit more there and that, that wasn't such a good idea over there. Yep. Just keep following where where the success is and where, that, where the potential and the money 
Yeah. We do live in a capitalist society. <laughs> yep. You've got to make money. Yep. That's what generates our whole society. Government, you know, they get all these taxes and then they disperse it out to everyone. Yeah. You know, thank goodness we've got mining in the country because, you know, out in West Australia, we didn't have that. Yep. We wouldn't have the taxes they pay. We wouldn't have it to give to less fortunate people. Yep. So it's all yep. a matter of jumping onto things. Yeah, the old minimum minimal viable product Benny MVP yeah absolutely sneak it out there Jace have you got what are your thoughts anything to add to that Jace the adventurer yeah look I, I would just really I suppose you know I think you know stay curious is, is really important and um, I think sort of to dad's point but slightly different is um, uh, listening to your audience and, and don't presume you've got all the answers I mean unless you're you know Apple and you come up with some amazing design and go I don't care what people don't know what they want because I know they want this I mean that's a very rare business that can do that so I think um, you need to put out whatever it is whether it's you know our, for example our online lessons we always do uh, we do research every 18 months and get teachers in and focus groups and talk to them they go too text heavy need more images I want to have a summary in you know 30 seconds I don't want to be reading for five minutes so all these little things that we constantly listen update listen to the feedback so I think it's really important to be quite um, uh, you know humble and receptive and listen it still doesn't mean you can't make a call but it's so critical I think not to have a, too much of a preconceived idea how you're going to get to where you're going know where you want to get to yeah. but be open to having a circuitous path because it's never a linear progression yeah. it's always a, you know <laughs> what success looks like in your mind is a straight line you know going up from the bottom left to the top right of the graph but the reality is a big swirling mess uh, of lines crossing over and going backwards and forwards uh, through the whole process so I think you just need to be open to that and always be uh, be, be learning and keep your you know your, your mind open and be prepared to change and something dad's always uh, taught me is be um, you know prepared to admit when you're wrong and be really clear about it and you know we've got a, at work we've got a, a balls up award which which is which is a, a, a golf ball from some, a, an old um, a trophy uh, a golf trophy and that goes around from one desk to the other for the person who did the most entertaining stuff up that month yeah. uh, the balls up award and suffice to say I win it most months uh, <laughs> probably because I'm making it's on your desk <laughs> so you're the, more Daring. The balls up award. So, you know, I think it's important. And, and to make, you know, have, have a laugh with it. You know, if you make an error, you know, it's not the end of the world. Dad mentioned earlier, you know, just make sure you don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. So uh, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying and you're not challenging yourself. So uh, I'd say, you know, look look back at, you know, your last six months and say, when was the last time I made a mistake? And if that made one, I'd, I'd suggest you're not putting your efforts into the right place. You're not trying hard right enough. Yeah. Fantastic. So test it, test it out in the market. Make sure you got a market, make sure you got a product, but stay curious yep. and know when you're wrong and admit when you're wrong and be willing to, to take it from all sides and head on a path like look, that. Yeah, look at ideas. There's so many ideas every day. Well, yeah. so you know where you want to go, but it doesn't matter how you get there. You yeah. Don't, yeah, don't stress out about the path in between the destination. No. Yeah, and enjoy, you know, because... But you know, in most lines of work, but you you will never get to where to the end point. So it's critical yeah. to enjoy that whole um, that journey. whole time again. There, people call it you know the journey now and all that sort of bullshit. But it's just actually waking up each day and enjoying your life and what you're doing. Mm. And it's not getting too you know caught up in the the how and the the why of each day. But to enjoy each day and you know treat it like it's your last and get the most out of it is to me the most important thing. And then you actually do it. So if you sort of don't quite get there or you know you die on the way or whatever happens, <laughs> um, you've had a great time doing it and you've uh, you've got the most out of yourself and your team. Yeah, well what yeah. 
great advice and from someone who does go on journeys Antarctica things like that you've learned that the enjoying the moment staying being present in the moment enjoying that each day not mm. so just going I'm just trying to get to the end or get to yeah. the top of the mountain You're great doing, adventurer yeah Jason. yeah genuinely getting up each day and enjoying it but it is you know the moment you know just us here chatting out this is all we've got this moment what happened yeah. yesterday doesn't matter a shit who knows what's happening tomorrow yeah. let's make the most of right now yeah love it what great advice Benny, any further questions you've got swirling around there? No, no, I'm good. Actually, I've just got a, got, uh, uh, I've got a couple of personality uh, grabs. You use them if you like or not. But the first of all, it's a Peter Allen. Peter Allen was a great Australian entertainer, and uh, and he was coming to Australia, and our advertising agency said. Uh, 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 you know, we should do an ad for He said, yeah, if you pay for my um, my mother's airfare to come out because he was singing at the grand final. Oh, yeah. uh, so he was coming out to sing for the grand final and, and he got to do the ad. He said, oh, he said, I won six grand in a brown paper bag or I'm not going to do the ad right there and then. <laughs> so we had to run around and everyone was going to make the ad. We had to stop and run down the bank and get the money six grand for him. <clears throat> at the same time, we thought we were, the Swans were having a breakfast that morning so we also wanted to get him to come and sing at our breakfast before he did the grand final uh call australia home yeah. at the grand final so then we had to get another brown paper bag to give him for the bloody breakfast <laughs> so we gave him another five grand my brother and i and he sang at our bloody breakfast <laughs> so that was an, and i kept a relationship with him a bit and we got to know him at port Douglas because then one day at uh, when they opened a the mirage uh, christmas case opened the mirage up there and uh, we had peter allen up for uh, for dinner at the house, I think, uh, Port Douglas and John Farnham was Jill were there because they were big Port Douglas people always go out fishing on their boat. We went back to the um, back to the uh, uh, Mirage and uh, Peter Allen was on the fa- on the on the piano. Johnny Farnham was singing. We're all a bit pissed, and, and then uh, this uh, bird over there started to make eyes at Buddy uh, at John and Buddy Jill went over and went bang <laughs> at him. In the middle of it all. So that was a bit of fun with uh, Peter Allen and uh, 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 Port Douglas at the time. And the other was uh, Shane Warne. And Shane Warne, uh, bless him. I love and, a uh, Warney story. Uh, yeah. And uh, Warney uh, did some ads for us. And like, uh, for, um, um, Going, I'm, free. I'm free. I'm free pants, which we did an ad of throwing an iron down at Flinders out to sea. Yep. We ran that and it was terribly successful. And Shane used to come to the office and Graham Dickens, our marketing guy, used to take me to the office. He always liked looking at the girls at her warning. But anyway, <laughs> then we're, we were having a, uh, uh, an event up at Port Douglas, another Port Douglas story. And we're all up there, the high achievers from Just Cheese, about 30 staff, about, about 70 or 80% females, all up at our place at dinner. And the Australian cricket team was training in Cairns. So I thought, oh, God, I'll ring Warney if you want to come up. So up comes Warney with half the team. So there's Warney and about four or five others cricketers in, in our house at Port Douglas. We're all there. And the women were just swarming him. And they're writing and their lipstick on his shirt <laughs> and brushing past him. At any rate, he goes to, he wants to have a wee. So he, goes, he says, where's the toilet? He goes, jumps up the stairs and go in there. Just he goes in. Another girl just jumps into the toilet toilet with him with the door shut and Connie sees him goes and opens the bloody door and, but he drags her out and he says oh thank you very much for that anyway the same girl did end up having a night with him that night downtown <laughs> the hotel but I, I mean it, it, we had it sounded some, very motivated yeah very motivated <laughs> thank Connie very much for saving him from that girl <laughs> good on you Shane very polite yeah, we love him 
Yeah. How good's that? Some ripper stories there, anyway. Craig. Any any more you want to leave us with? Any more oh, that, no. that you think Mac, we've missed we out did, on today? Uh, Max Walker. I did some American Express ads with Max Walker and uh, uh, Lily, uh, and they they really helped the business. They approached us to do some ads there, and uh, right. it's amazing. It was like the grand final when we did that telecast, and we got a huge just general business surging yeah. when you when you get linked to say Amex uh, with uh, Max and. Uh, Lily and that so that was another good thing that uh, helped the business along so uh, no it's all it's all that sounds like a bit of advice I'm hearing as well just for business owners I'm probably thinking selfishly uh, but that PR associating yourself your company with the right people influences I think they're called influences these days influences these days maybe the right causes whatever it might be um, getting yourself out there in that way it sounds like you did it your whole career yeah. Well, certainly in the late 70s and early 80s, I think um, with J- uh, Harold Mitchell and his agency and dad, they really understood the, the power of celebrity earlier. So, yeah. you know, Max Walker, you know, Gus Mercurio did the ads about five years. If they can fit Gus, they can fit us. Um, he was a you know, big star in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, Peter Allen, whose famous uh, song, you know, When My Baby Smiles at Me, I Go to Rio, he reinterpreted the song. Just Jeans had these hot um, pastel um, uh, canvas pants called Peaches for the summer. Yeah, and Peter right. Allen got up and was on the piano, rips off his shirt to reveal a Just Jeans uh, capped uh, uh, singlet underneath. And he sang, When My Baby Smiles at Me, I Go to Just Jeans for My Peaches. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He completely bastardised that song. I think that was because of the six... Uh, Cheeky ones in the brown paper bag. Oh, <laughs> I've got, I've got to ask one more question. I do have one more question. So, when everyone was telling you it was a bad idea, yeah, what made you believe? Why, well, why, and, and, and in your opinion, what was you know? Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why it worked. Mm. So, what made you believe, and why, in your opinion, do you think it worked straight away? Um, I think that the um, I spoke to people and uh, my brother and uh, Connie's sister Chrissy, and when I talked to them, they were prepared to leave their jobs and give it a go uh, uh, because I had uh, um, a, a young family and uh, and I wasn't prepared to let my job go because I had, as I said, a company car and a well-paid job and uh, I was still doing a trip overseas every year for them developing their range. So I was very lucky that there was uh, two members of the family family and uh, Connie was very supportive of it too and uh, we're all involved in setting up the first shop and you know putting down the seagrass matting and you know making the curtains and all that stuff but there was a test we were prepared to lose that money but didn't work we I think we put four and a half thousand dollars into the into the business to start with but there again that's a very good example of testing so if it had have fallen over none of us would have yeah, we wouldn't have lost our house. The end of the world. Yeah, amazing. You know, so, you know, I think that explains it. Yeah, you still had your job. You were yeah. happy to you, you yeah. put, put yeah. in what for, you were happy me, to lose. Yeah, yeah. I, was, mm. I was happy to, yeah, because I was very conscious of being, you know, conservative. And do you yeah. think timing was it was the timing? Oh, we're very was, lucky with the timing. It was the timing that was sort of... Uh, a, lot of a lot of people see timing and fuck it up. Yeah, You know, yeah. we, we saw the goalpost and we were prepared to kick. Yeah. And we loved it. And we liked it. Ours didn't mean anything. Taking money didn't mean anything. It's just getting the getting it, it going. And uh, uh, and Chrissy got some great publicity in the in the Herald. Uh, well, that kicked it, and then we got another good shop. We that was found, and it was all little things. Little things ended up making it a good thing. Yeah, amazing. Okay.
A good yeah. big thing. And Love similarly, it. Ben, I suppose, you know, with the start of Cool, you know, everyone I spoke to about it who had experience in education, everyone said, well, that, that can't possibly work. How, how are you going to get, um, you know, teachers to pick this up? You know, uh, New South Wales, the closed shop, and, you know, the, it won't be promoted by um, the, all the state agencies because they'll be potentially, you know, uh, nervous or jealous of what you might be doing. So we took an approach to recruit teachers one by one and uh, rather than anyone actually mandating it so we would we started out um, with the, the books to librarians in the schools in Victoria and once we got our database going the, the word of mouth um, has been phenomenal and we also successfully engage Google they have a um, uh, an AdWords grant which they give to not-for-profits that if they like the cut of your jib they'll give you a certain amount of free online advertising to help recruit teachers to uh, uh, to your website. So um, the combination of us having the great story, saving teachers time, upskilling them, engaging them in areas where they otherwise would have been uh, too afraid to go uh, was one of those um, a great part of our success. And, you know, when I people would say it can't work, I'd ask them why and make sure we were addressing those reasons why and uh, make sure we would overcome them and um, get around them or over them in a, in a significant way and engaging all the, uh, the national stakeholders from the key union delegates in each state to the heads of Catholic education. So whilst they weren't endorsing what we were doing uh, necessarily because they couldn't be seen to endorse or they loved what we were doing, they made sure there was no um, no blockers or, or barriers for us. So apart from a, a few politicians in New South Wales getting a bit upset with us uh, uh, a few years ago and, uh, you know, a few, bit of the... Uh, aren't too keen on uh, us, um, some of our stuff, but it's yeah. uh, it's been it's been a real um, a real interesting uh, thing to do, and uh, I think you know you've got to those that say you can't ask them why yeah. and, and make sure is that legit or is it just you know their old mindset, and if it's not their old mindset and there's things to be addressed, you know make sure you do address them and be aware of them. Yeah, I think that's a great point because it's not always just about blocking them out. Going, yeah. it's, it's asking them why, because there could be a valid point there that you do need to address, yeah. you do need to cover, get that right, and then yeah. keep going on your journey. Yeah, I'm not into pro- you know people have success, and you hear them go, "Oh, I wanted to prove this guy wrong," and the more they said I couldn't do it, I go, "That just seems moronic to me." <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be listening. Is there any merit in what they're saying? Because there probably is some merit in your knockers, what they're yeah, going to say, correct, and yeah. actually listen and pay attention. Yeah. I think it's really important to listen to your critics, and you know yeah. we've had plenty of them, yeah. and it's say you know, and and when they do criticise <laughs> you, they do all these things. You go, oh, "God, they've got my media talking points," yeah. and they go through things. They go, "Isn't this bad?" And you go, "Oh, I was thinking that was really good." <laughs> So it's yeah. important to listen to your critics. Don't, don't be put off by them, but do listen and pay attention because they, they often have some help for you. And just because they say it, it doesn't make it true or no. right. And, that, yeah, and that's, I think that, I that's think for that, you to figure out. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a, for people that may not have confidence or a risk appetite and they can get people in their ears and all mm. of a sudden they think that's the truth. Where yeah. the reality is you just got to gather all the information, listen to it, do your own research and make your own decisions. Yeah, and that's and that's sort of testing the product, and then that goes back to what Craig yeah. said, isn't yeah. it? Testing the product, yep. get the get the, the critics idea. in, yeah, the the critics in. Yeah. 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 The idea, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't assume it's not going to work just because yeah. someone's told you. Test it yeah. and find it, out. It, it's, yeah, it's test, refine, advance, test, refine, that's advance, the all the way. Test, Write that down, Benny. Yeah, test, refine, advance. <laughs> right. That's the one. Craig, Jason, thanks so much for your time. <laughs> okay, really hey, appreciate it. Thanks so much for having. It's been a treat to be here on Little Fish. They're a legend. Legends. Guys, thanks. please like, thanks, share, Pete. subscribe. No, nah, you're a good man, Craig. Appreciate your time. Like, share, subscribe. Anyone who's going to get value out of that, please share it. See you at the top. Woo! Woo!